This one's called soul explosion when God's love detonates in your life or our life. And I'll get to that maybe, hopefully today, maybe next week. But I want to get to it tonight, but I don't think I'll be able to. But I was reading, I'm sure you've been following it. Lake Mead, you know, it's in Nevada. And it's, people don't realize how important this is. Maybe you do, but it services Arizona, California, Nevada, and parts of Mexico. It helps 20 million people. And it's at record lows. In this article here, it says... It's at the lowest level since 1930. And if it continues to go, they're not sure what they're going to do. They have to have this water. They're not sure what they could do. It reaches a point what's called Deadpool. It just means it's so low it can't be pumped for any use at all. It's too low. But the other thing that they've discovered is by lowering... They found all kinds of things so far in Lake Mead. I don't know if you followed the stories. Uh, so they found bodies in barrels. How many know bodies shouldn't be in barrels? Bodies in barrels. Some of the bodies they believe were been there since 1970. They found human skulls. They found boats. They, they're finding all kinds of things and not telling us everything they're finding. And actually, because it's, a, I think, federal land, you're not allowed to go and investigate or even take anything you're not allowed to do anything you just look at you but you can't touch anything and the one guy had mentioned he said the people that obviously murdered some of these people they never thought in a million years that their sin <laughs> that their sin would be found out they never thought that water would get that low but the point i'm making tonight is this is that as it gets lower and lower all these things they're discovering you know, you and I come to church. We had a great time with Pastor Marty, and we've had all kinds of revivals. <clears throat> but one thing, and you have to be encouraged by this, because one thing, no matter how many revivals we have, if you and I will allow God to go deeper and deeper in our life, there are going to be all kinds of discoveries we're going to find. All kinds of things are going to come up, but it only happens if you allow God to speak, you allow God to enter. Paul talks about his own life. And if Paul said this, he, let me read it to you. It won't be up there. Romans 7, he said, I know that no good thing lives inside of me. He said, I don't understand the good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, I do. It's not what I want to do. That means I'm no longer the one who does. Instead, it is sin that lives in me. Paul, you talk about Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians ever. He talks about in his life, like all of us, there is all kinds of evil. It's in He said, there's sin is in me. And if he said that about himself, I think we can all say it about ourselves. There's something inside of us. And you and I, because we are in a preaching fellowship, the benefit of that. If you allow God to speak to you and you allow God to uncover some things, then you could probably make it. And that's why you can come to Marty's Revival. If we had someone else in two weeks where I preach Sunday or Joe preach, doesn't matter who preaches. But if your heart is open and you're allowing God to uncover these things in your life and you're allowing God to expose it, then you can find freedom and you can find forgiveness. But God only goes as deep as you allow him to. And so every service you come to, you say, why, pastor, why, how come every revival I'm at the altar? Because you're allowing God to go deep in your life. You're allowing God to uncover some things that have been buried since the 1970s. 
Who knows it's hidden in our hearts and in our life? Who only God knows this is there. But it could be allowed God and his spirit to come in and he does what he does. He exposes things. But it really is hinged upon you and I allowing him to uncover those things. And if you allow him to uncover those things, then you can find some freedom and you can find forgiveness. So let's go to our text. Our main text from a few weeks ago was Romans 12. Let me read a part of it again. It just simply says, love must be completely sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold to what is good. Love one another warmly as Christians, eager to show respect for one another. Then in verse 12, it says, let your hope keep you joyful. Be patient in your troubles and pray at all times. And then book of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal. Most of us are familiar with it. Verse 12 simply says, the younger said to his father, give me my share of my property now. So the man divided the property between his sons. And after two days, the son sold his property and he uh, sold his property, left home with the money, and went to a country far away, and he wasted all his money, in one version says, in reckless living. We're talking about community. Paul writes in Galatians, let us not grow weary in due season, we shall reap. But he, it's interesting, he says, let us not, let us. It's not let you go weary, let me go weary. It's us, it's a community. And that's what we're talking about, building a community. We're talking about the family of God. We're talking about having relationships one with another but not just having relationship, it's purposely having relationships with one another in a very healthy way if we plan to make it. And why it's so important, the community, why, why is it so important to have these relationships that Romans 12 talks about? Because it's in these relationships, it's in this close relationship that you and I can find help. Because we all will at times will need help. Is that right? So... <clears throat> We're talking about in our church, I mentioned this, having an atmosphere. We create an atmosphere where we all kind of, we all kind of agree and we all openly, there's no false bravado here, no false pride. We don't, we don't have to pretend, pretend to be something we're not. And, and one of the quotes I put up there is a church has to be a place where it's okay to not to be okay. Not that we want to stay that way, but in an atmosphere where, you know what, it's an open, honest relationship, not with everyone, but with a few people. There's a closeness, there's an honesty that you can talk and you can kind of say, you know what, hey, I'm struggling or I'm dealing with some sin in my life. I hate it. I don't like it. It's owning me. I want to, I, I want to, I need help. That's the atmosphere we need to have. But it doesn't just happen. You have to, you have to make, or you have to, I should say, develop relationships, but you have to develop them. You don't just have, you just don't just have a close relationship with someone without doing anything. There has to be an ongoing relationship, and it costs. It costs to have a relationship with someone. Now, I'm not talking about everyone, but you need to, it takes time, it takes energy. Pastor James preached the other day, I thought it was masterful, and he always thinks I'm joking. And he reminds me when I met him, I met him when he was on staff in Tucson, I think 35 years ago. And since then, we've maintained a relationship. And because we maintain a relationship, it's because we choose. I call him, he calls me. How many of the phone works both ways? Some of you say, well, no one calls me. Have you called anyone? No one reaches out to me. I'm not close to anyone, Pastor. I don't have any friends. Oh, I wonder why. Do you call? Do you reach out? Do you talk? Do you invest? Do you give? Do you spend time? No, no. You, if you have none of that, there's no close women fellowship. There's no close women. I want to get close to women, and they never get close. We have a Bible study. They have them for years. Go to the Bible study and meet some women. 
Ain't no one saying nothing tonight. Okay, here we go. Just starting, girl. You ain't intimidate this preacher. We want, but we want something, but you've got to do something about it. You, you have to invest yourself. You have to put yourself out there. Meet some people. Make some investment. And so you come to a women's Bible study. You meet some women. You come to a men's thing. You meet some men. Whatever it is, that's so important. And we live in a generation where we don't, have, we don't know how to cultivate relationships, let alone 35-year relationships. You just give up and, well, I'll find a new friend, new close friend. You know, I know not everyone's going to be your BFF, but you ought to have a few close friends. So it's so important. And so in our story, important about the prodigal, the Bible says in Luke 15, the younger said to his father, give me my share of property now. So he divided his property between his sons. And after a few days, the son sold his part of the property, left home with the money, and spent it in a faraway place with reckless living. I'll get to the history of that in a couple of weeks, what this really means, because it's very, very profound. What he did is, uh, you have to understand the history of it, and I'll get to that, like I said. But it is, nonetheless, it's, this is really, really bad, because what the son is doing is, and our actions affect everything. He's going to break up the family. He's going to hurt the father. He's going to hurt the community. He's going to hurt his church. He's going to hurt his brother. Every time we do something, we're going to affect somebody. He would hurt the community. He would hurt the father's image in that community. By doing what he did was, uh, was really, really, really bad. You know, people can do things really, really bad and not realize that they're doing something really, really bad because it's what they want to do. I don't care if my father's heart's broken. I don't care if my brother's gets, I don't care. I can care. I want to do what I want to do. I'm, I'm out here. I'm done. I'm going to do what I want to do. Hey, I'm out here. Dad, give me my money. I'm going to Vegas. Girl. I'm gone. I'm going to L.A. I'm going to New York. I'm out here. I don't, what, what about, he broke his father's heart, but that's another sermon, but that's the reality of what's going on here. But the point I want to make here in this story that I think is so important, I call it the talk he never had. Because he didn't have to take off. I was telling Marty this, and I said, Marty, don't steal it, because I'm teaching this, okay? Don't be stealing this. I can talk to Marty. Give me an example. Sunday, we're talking in the car Sunday, and I gave an illustration. He said, stop, stop. He writes it right down. He said, I'm preaching that, boy. That's mine. That's mine. He said, keep talking, Kerry. I said, no, I'm afraid to tell you anything I'm preaching. You steal everything. Because he can write a few notes and preach it. It takes me weeks to put that together. He writes it and just preaches it masterfully. And people go, never a man spake like that. Give me some credit. <laughs> but anyway, it is, it, I call it the talk that he never had, that he should have had. So what I mean is he, there's a reason for it, and I'll get to. But here's the son. He's obviously struggling. He's battling something inside of him. There's something inside of him. We know it's sin. We know he wants to get loose. He's tired of being in the father's house. He's tired of being in the potter's house. I, I got to get loose. You know, Pastor Kerry's got all these rules. <laughs> like what rules? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I got to get free. And so here he is. He's struggling. And, and, and the talk that he should have had, maybe, okay, maybe he didn't do it with his father, but he should have went there, obviously, because at the end, he says, I'm going back to my father, not my room, because he had a relationship with his father. But he, he could have said to his brother, he said, you know what, man, I'm struggling. 
What would have had, the talk that he should have had that he never had? What would have happened if he just said, hey, can I talk to your older brother? The older brother is supposed to be the, the counselor in the family. He's supposed to be the guy you go to. He's the man in the church, that, the wise one in the church. He's, he's been around. He's going to lead. He's going to guide. He, he offers advice. He's, that's his part. That's, that's what he would do for a younger brother. And the younger brother should have said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm struggling, man. I, I'm thinking about leaving. I'm thinking about just taking my money from dad, and I'm out of here. Why didn't he have that conversation? Why didn't he talk to his father? Why not say, hey, dad, can we talk for five minutes? Can we just talk? I said, what's up, son? So, you know, dad, I, I, uh, I've been, I hate to tell you, man, but I've been watching a lot of TikTok lately. And uh, it's tempting, man. It's tempting. I'm living here. I'm seeing what's going on TikTok. And they're, they're, having a, they're having fun. And I'm here at the Potter's house. I ain't having no fun. I mean, they're having a blast. They're going all over the world. I see what they're doing. How many know on TikTok, Instagram, life is a blast, but then there's real life? That's the highlight reel, which is fine, but understand what you're looking at. It's the highlight reel. That person you see, they're always smiling, probably isn't always smiling. And that what they look like. That's not what they look like. Anyway, so he said, Dad, I'm struggling. I'm going to get, I want to go. I'm going to get out of here. You know, I'm, I'm tired of being here, Dad. I'm just, you know, I'm just, it's, it's working on me. I, I you know, I'm, no, no, no I'm, I'm out of here. But why didn't he talk to his father? The talk that he should have had that he never had, it, it might have saved him. You know, we come to a church service on Thursday night. How many of you are here tonight? If someone's sleeping, let them sleep. They need to get some rest. One talk can change your life. You have that relationship that you're taking time to build over years. And you say, brother, can you talk? Yeah, what's, what's up? You know, man, I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about leaving my wife. I'm thinking about, the young man says, I'm thinking about just taking off, pastor. Can we talk? Well, yeah, we can talk, but you're not going to talk me out of it. Let me say this about people. Can I say something? When people say you can't talk me out of it, don't listen to them. <laughs> because people are human beings. But you sit down and talk to them. Let them tell you all their frustrations. Let them tell you how disappointed they are about their life, their calling, whatever. And sometimes just telling the story, they'll feel better at the end. And how many people's lives may, maybe could have maybe stopped some of the pain in their life if they had just taken time to cultivate relationships and taken time to talk to somebody. And if they would have talked to someone, let me go back. If you're to talk to the right person, if you're half crazy, don't talk to the crazy sister in the church. She, she's crazy. Don't talk to sister crazy. She said, leave him, girl. You need to leave him. No, you don't talk to her. Don't, don't talk to her. No, no, don't go to, don't go to crazy. Don't go to Aunt Lupe who's not saved. No, you talk to someone who's been around who's saved and you know, that loves God. There are no perfect Christians, but you talk to someone, you take the time to talk to them, and you'd be surprised, it might save you a lot, a lot of pain and heartache. Why don't we do that? 
I, I, I would say that if people would do that, there'd be a lot less Christians, probably maybe a lot more Christians in church. Instead of allowing the sin, the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil to get the best of them. He's masterful at you. He's masterful at creating an environment. He's masterful at capturing your heart. He's masterful at destroying people's lives. He has a PhD in destroyology. I just made up that word. I don't know if that's a real word, destroyology. But Jesus said he came to kill, to steal, what? Destroy. That's all he came to do. But I think there's some reasons why the younger son didn't do this. It's probably because of the environment that he was in. The word environment just simply means the influences or conditions surrounding you. One definition said the social and cultural forces that shape a person's life. And so I, I think this, I, I begin to think about this, maybe the environment, because the environment that the younger son was in, we say, well, what was it like? Well, here's a little indicator of what it might have been like. The Bible says in Luke 15, verse 25, when the younger son decides to come home, the Bible says he came to his senses. What's well, real important, because that don't always happen. Remember that. Yeah, he came. We love the story, the prodigal. He came to his came back home. Father, he see, okay, we get to that next week. We love that. And he came to his, that doesn't always happen. But the Bible says when he comes to his senses, he comes back home. I didn't read it for the sake of time. His father, we know his father sees him, kisses him. His son says, Dad, I have sinned against you and in heaven. And he goes on and on. The father basically throws a party for his son that was lost. He don't even say he was lost. He said he was dead. And now he's found. So his dad has a party. The older son now, the Bible says this. The Bible says the older son was in the field. As he was coming back to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him. And the servant told him, your brother has come back home. Your father has killed the fatted calf to celebrate your brother's safe return. Verse 28, then the older son became angry and wouldn't go into the house. His father came out and begged him to come in. But he answered his father and said, all these years I worked like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed of your commands. Yet you never give me as much as a little goat for my celebration with me and my friends. But this your son of yours spent all your money on prostitutes. Who said that? You know, it's interesting. He says the worst about his son, about his own brother. You know, when you say the worst about people, it's a reflection of you, not the one you're talking about. He says, your, your son, doesn't even call him his brother. Your son, this son of yours, spent all your money on the prostitutes, and when he's come on, you kill for him the fatted calf. So maybe one of the reasons why there's a struggle for the younger son to talk to his brother, because if that was his brother's attitude, who wants to talk to some self-righteous brother in the church who thinks he's all this and that? If that's how his brother really felt about him, his brother's attitude, we obviously we know from it, we get to it some other time, he's self-righteous, he's all about him and what he gets from the Father. It's not about relationship with God, it's about what I can get from God, that's another sermon, but that's, that's his attitude, that's his spirit. So I can understand why the younger son, his brother would talk, say, you know, I ain't gonna talk to him, he's full of self, he's nothing but self-righteous. That was the environment that was created. Pretty obvious why you want to talk to him. Why would you want to talk to this self-righteous guy? No. 
His self-righteous attitude killed what I call a redemptive atmosphere. In a church, we have to have a redemptive atmosphere. It can't be someone so self-righteous that someone can't come to you with their struggles, and you're like, oh, you're struggling. I can't relate. Oh, yeah, you can. You're just not being honest, stinking liar. Who wants to talk to someone like that? Atmosphere, here's the lessons here. Atmosphere matters and relationships matter. All of us here tonight either help or hinder the atmosphere of this church. We help or we hinder the atmosphere of this church. Relationships matter. Number two, or atmosphere matters. Number two, relationships matter. You have to take the time, like I said a moment ago, to develop relationships. You have to take the time. The person you're talking to, something has to take place. And so if you're here tonight and you're struggling, the problem is not your struggle. Trust me, the problem is not your sin. I'll get your sin in a minute. Yes, it's bad and it's bad. Yeah, you're going to. But that's my point right now is in your struggle, you have to have a place or have somebody. You have to have a place, an atmosphere of redemption, and you have to have at least one friend you can talk to and say, hey, I'm struggling. Because in that atmosphere of redemption, you can be redeemed. And so it matters. Let's talk about sin here for a moment. You know what's amazing about sin is that it doesn't take much time to work. It doesn't take much time to destroy. It doesn't take much time to mar somebody. Even a few hours after a great revival with Marty, just a few hours later, a few moments later, a few days later, a week later, sin can already make inroads into your life. By the time we end service on a Sunday night, by next Sunday, or if you don't come to midweek service, by next Sunday, in five, six days, a whole lot of hap- things can happen in people's lives. They go from Sunday night, they are John the Baptist, to, to John the Baptist, is God even alive? In seven days, you'd be amazed what can happen. Sin doesn't, it doesn't take sin a long time. It works very, very powerfully, very quickly. And I'll get to the nature of sin in a moment, but it doesn't take long. You can be here tonight listening to me. I know you're tongue talking, you're Bible carrying, you love Jesus. I know all that. But one day from now, you can be your, your whole life can be headed down, just totally lost. Just one day. So how can that happen? We open doors we shouldn't open. We, we, it's amazing. The power, one act, one thing, one industry, something happens, and sin begins to work. And if you're not honest enough to bring it out and start talking about it where it could be forgiven, and can be exposed and forgiven, you let it keep working, and it's going to destroy you. But it doesn't take much time. We can hear the greatest sermon on a Sunday morning, and by next Sunday, you're like, sin could be found inroads into your life on Monday, a little bit on Tuesday, a dab on Wednesday, a whole bunch on Thursday, an overflooding on Friday, just a little here, a little there. It's likened to leaven in the Bible. And if you know yourself, and you know what you're capable of, and you know what a real sinner we all are, right? You know from Sunday to Sunday, a whole lot can happen. Put it this way. 
Sometimes a whole lot has happened. Now you're preaching, Pastor. Thank you. A whole lot's happened in seven days. You've said things you shouldn't have said, did things you shouldn't have done, watched things you shouldn't have seen, had thoughts. Maybe something, someone hurt you, mad, angry. So much can happen in our hearts. We can go from loving each other to, I can come back next Sunday. I don't like that brother no more. In a short amount of time, right? Sin doesn't take much time at all. And one week can seem like eternity. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, Your glory is not good. No, you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have an illustration about sin here, about leaven. It talks about how it works, but I'm not even going to read it. I'm going to save it. But what's crazy about leaven, <clears throat> when you put it in bread, <clears throat> it works. It does, all, 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 I didn't know this, but you only need a little bit. But leaven in bread, most of the time, not always, but most of the time in Scripture, leaven is likened unto sin and its influence, okay? Little leaven, it's likened unto sin, leaven. Put leaven in bread, it puffs up, it affects everything in that bread, it permeates everything in that bread, it affects the entire loaf of bread. But you put the leaven in there at first, you can't see, you can't see it working. You're not going to walk by a piece of bread and go, oh, I see the leaven at work. You can't see it. You can't even hear it working. You get an insight about sin? You can't see it? See, it looks the same. Oh, yeah, the brother looks the same, but you'd be surprised what's working in his heart. You can't hear it working. You can't walk up to a piece of bread and go, oh, yeah, I hear the leaven working. Yeah. If you lean into your brother, you can't hear the leaven of sin working in his life. Don't look at your brother and say, I hear it. <laughs> oh, I hear it, brother. It's rising up in you. <laughs> But leaven goes and affects the whole loaf. It affects everything. It, it totally permeates everything in that thing. But you can't hear it. Leaven. I'm going to come back to that in another teaching. But here's another illustration quickly. How much time do I have? Hey, no, you, <laughs> no, you want to give me five more minutes, huh? Okay, I'm going to take 20. How are you like me now? <laughs> Shoot. It's silently working, and silent means makes no sound. Another illustration would be I put here, listen to this, high blood pressure. U.S. US, US deaths related to high blood pressure, which is called hypertension, has skyrocketed. Keep going up and up and up. The concern... <clears throat> High blood pressure is sometimes called the silent killer because it has no obvious symptoms. So many people don't even know they have it, but it's a leading risk factor for heart disease. Over time, high blood pressure can damage arteries, restrict blood flow, and can turn weakened heart muscle and can lead to a heart attack or a stroke. This guy says it's a public emergency that no one's really alarming. And, and, and right now, at least, if I ask you to guess, but you don't have to do it, but I'll just do it. At least every day in America... At least 1,000 people would drop dead because of high blood pressure. And they don't know they have it. 
So that's called the silent killer. In, in 2019, 516,000 people dropped dead because of high blood pressure. It's called the silent killer. Half the people that have a heart attack live. The other half die. You don't get second chances. What makes it so deadly is it's silent. What makes sin so deadly? It silently works. It's like leaven. If it exploded, if it was loud, you and I would run from it. But that's not how it works in our life. How, how does a good Christian do some crazy things? Something happened along the way, but it didn't happen overnight. It's, it was slow. The leaven's working. Sin's working. But it's such a slow. Can't hear. Sometimes you can't even observe the change. But there's something at work. And you and I need to be wise to it. Okay? It's nature. It corrupts, spreads, assimilates, and its effect upon communities and individuals, obviously churches. Let me get to this one part here. I'm at the end here, but it's, I think it'd be okay. <clears throat> the prodigal, he breaks up his family, his church, his community, shames his father. He hurt everyone, but he didn't really care about that. And how is that even possible? Well, we know the problem is sin. Not only is the problem sin, the problem, and they say about no matter who you are, people have a hard time admitting that they're sinful, that they're capable of sinful, wicked things. They have a hard time admitting our world won't even admit there is a sin. There is sin. You know, they just avoid it. But the problem is we don't see the power of it, and we underestimate it. It's power. And we need to understand the very nature of sin. Listen to the story, and I'm going to finish it more next week because it's, it's, real, it's really worth it. Because in Genesis chapter 4, most of you know the story. It's Cain and Abel. Cain, Abel makes an offering to God. God likes it. Cain gives an offering. God doesn't accept Cain's offering. God comes to Cain. The Bible says in Genesis 6, I mean, uh, chapter Four, verse 6, and the Lord asked Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so disappointed? If you do what is right, you're going to be accepted. But if you don't do what is right, sin is lying outside your door ready to attack you. It wants to control you, but you got to master it. In other words, it says, if you had done the right thing, you would be smiling. But you didn't do the wrong, but you did the wrong thing. Now, sin is waiting to attack you just like a lion. Sin wants to destroy you, but don't let it. Now, this is God. This is very interesting because God is laying out what sin is like. He said it's like a lion, and there's the word that he uses, it's the word crouching. I don't know, I saw this the other day. It was, the caption caught me. It says, a gazelle is getting ready to be lunch, and it doesn't know it. And so I, I saw it was on YouTube, and there's this gazelle. It was in Africa, of course, and there's a lion right there in the grass, and the lion is right there, right, right there, and the gazelle doesn't even see it. The lion's right there. That gazelle just eating, just singing some song. Well, I don't know if it's singing, but anyway, it's enjoying life with a gazelle gazelling around, and just there, just doing his thing, and I don't know how they move, but anyway, they're just there. But I'm watching, they just sit there, just looking around, and it's looking right at the lion. doesn't even see the lion right there. Why? The lion's not moving. And when the lion starts moving, you've all seen it on, on an animal pro and the lion starts to move. What does the lion do? It moves so slowly, just like takes so its back foot. And just I'll be a lion right now. 
You go like that. No, I can't even do that. I don't get balance. <laughs> the lion falls over because he's clumsy. But uh, the lion, it moves just slow, slow. It lifts up its back foot, puts it down, and, just, and it, it crouches down. It, it lowers itself. And it lowers itself. It's right there. And, it, and the poor gazelle didn't have a standing chance. Next thing you know, the, the lion was praising the Lord. <clears throat> but I want you to think about this. I'm only going to make one point here because... Because there's, there's a lot here, but I don't want to just rush it because it's too good. The fact that God says the sin's like a lion that's crouching, it tells us about the hiddenness of sin. Sin will hide itself. Just like it says right here, sin is crouching at the door. Just like the lion lies down, it gets out of you, like, you, know, you see the lion, it pushes itself out of you. The word literally means to be laid, to lay flat. And you've seen the lions go all the way down. That's what it means. So, so what do you mean? God says that's exactly like sin. So what do you mean, Pastor? It hides itself in your life. If it was visible, you'd run from it. But the hiddenness of sin is it hides itself. What do you mean? It always appears smaller than what it really is. It hides itself. It's, it's, I, don't, it's, I don't see what's the problem, Pastor. It's just, why? Because sin always hides itself. That's the very nature of it. Well why, well, why would a good person do some such terrible thing? Because along the way, we know, man, he did some crazy sinful stuff. So how did he do that? Well, along the way, sin was working, trust me. But when they, when they looked at it, all they saw was it lying down. It was, only, it was hidden to their eyes, but it was there. By its nature, it hides itself. A, number two, sin will always look smaller than what it is. I'm going to stop here because in our own lives, that's exactly how it works. Why else would we do something crazy? Sister, why in the world would you do something outside the will of God? Because the sin I'm talking about, I didn't really see it. And so we have all these areas in our life that they're not obvious. We don't, we're not, it's right in front. We, we have no It's right there. It lowers itself. So the sin, we don't see, it's, we don't see what it really looks like. We, we see bits and pieces of it. It's not that bad. And usually, for a lot of us, we can actually justify our sin. You know what made Cain and Abel so crazy, the story? God says, sin's right there. What did, what did Abel do? Abel was jealous, he was angry, he was resentful, he was mad. God says, yeah, that's, that's, that's a sin lying at your door. It's, you don't realize it. In other words, when sin hides itself in our life, it hides itself through justifiable actions. We justify it. They said, you've got to be forgiving. Well, I have a right to be angry at that person. You just justified your sin. Pastor, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not greedy, covetous, tightwad. I'm just prudent. 
And so we hide it. I want you to bow our heads tonight.